0: Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our evening service, Sunday 5th of May 2019. This evening we are joined by Pastor Jim McBrittany, who takes his reading from Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 110, and brings a message entitled, The Grace of God. Nice to be back with you in Cumber. Um, I was in Lisbon this morning, and I'm here in Cumber tonight, and I'm delighted to be here, and I'm glad to see you. And I can see that you 've made some changes and I think improvements since the last time that I was here and I want to read tonight from paul 's letter to the Ephesians in chapter two. Now you have first and second Corinthians, which are fairly easy to find and then after second Corinthians, you come to Galatians, and after Galatians you come to Ephesians, and we 're in the second chapter. And we're reading from verse 1 to verse 10. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the second chapter, and reading from verse 1 to verse 10. And the word of God reads like this. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. <clears throat> and God will bless his word to our hearts tonight. I want to speak to you tonight about the grace of God. The grace of God. And it's a wonderful subject, isn't it? Um, The hymn writers extol the grace of God, don't they? They wrote, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sins. And grace, tis a charming sound, harmonious to the ear. And then, save by grace alone, this is all my plea. But if the hymn writers extol the grace of God, then these scriptures explain the grace of God. Grace is the free gift of God. It cannot be earned, and it cannot be bought. Grace is the opposite of works. Grace is everything that works isn't. And grace is God's goodness to the unworthy and the undeserving. And we're going to look at God's grace tonight in three areas. First of all, we're going to consider saving grace. And that's in two parts. So the first part is saving grace and man's problem. And man's problem is simply this that he is a sinner. And because he's a sinner, he needs to be saved. He needs to experience for himself God's salvation. Now we know that in our day, as in the day of the Lord Jesus, there were really bad sinners. The thief on the cross was a really bad sinner. Because he was more than a thief. They were never crucified for being thieves. They were only crucified for being murderers. And so here was a man who had taken other lives. He was a really bad sinner. Or we could think of the demon-possessed woman, possessed of seven demons. We don't know from what the Bible tells us how she behaved, but you would not have wanted her for your friend or your neighbor or anything to do with her. She was probably foul-mouthed and vile and violent and uh, all kinds of things. Or what about the woman at the well who had had five husbands and now was cohabiting with a man who wasn't her husband? That was disgraceful living. That was really serious sin, wasn't it? And of course, in our day, we have terrorists and pedophiles and bombers and men who lead countries committing genocide and annihilating other op- opponents and so on. There are really bad sins. <clears throat> And then, of course, there are really decent sinners. And there are loads of them in Cumber. There are loads of decent sinners in Cumber. These are people who are good husbands and good fathers, good mothers and so on. People who are moral and respectable and religious and fairly often go to church. They are really decent sinners. And then we have really good sinners. People like Nicodemus. You see, Nicodemus was the outstanding man in his society. He was the master of Israel. He was the teacher of the law. He was the ruler of the synagogue. He was an exceptional man. He stood head and shoulders in morality above all the others. And you know, they are the hardest to reach with the gospel. Because they feel that they are good enough. They have no sense of sin. They have no sense of need. A lady invited her neighbor to go to her church one Sunday night. There was a man coming to preach in the church, and he used to live in their street. They both knew him very well. But when he left the street, he got into all kinds of problems and all kinds of sin, and he turned out to be a really bad article, if you like. And then God in grace reached and saved him. And so he's coming back to the old church and he's going to tell his life story and how God met him and changed him and saved him. And that is what he did. And on the way home, this lady said to her friend, well, what did you think of John? And she said, well, he needed to be saved. But I'm not like that. And there are women, men and women in Cumber tonight who feel exactly the same, that they don't need to be saved because they are not like that. But the reality is that we're all sinners. That's God's verdict. It says all have sinned. There are no exceptions. Out of the multitude of millions and billions of people who have traversed this world of ours, there has only ever been one person who was not a sinner, and that was the lovely Lord Jesus. There's no other name. Peter said, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no substitute for God's salvation. Baptism is not a substitute for God's salvation. Good works is not a substitute for God's salvation. Salvation stands alone. And so you have saving grace and man's problem." You see, we understand tonight that no one will ever stand in God's heaven and say, I am here through my own efforts. We'll all declare we're only sinners saved by grace. But then you have not only God's grace and man's uh, problem, you have God's grace and God's provision. You see the Bible says that he that is Christ by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. <clears throat> and that's a remarkable thing isn't it to realize and understand tonight that God's son came into our world and went to the cross and when he died there he died in our place and he died for our sins. Now I want you to understand tonight that this death of the Lord Jesus it was planned in eternity. It was planned when there was only God, when there were no angels. They weren't created at that time. When there was no universe, it wasn't created at that time. When there were no human beings, they weren't created at that time. And way back in eternity, not a past eternity, that cannot be. But away back in eternity, before time began, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit looked down the space and span of time, saw the fall of man, the depravity of sin, and they planned to provide a Savior for sinners like us. The Lord Jesus was the Lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world. You see, God's plan didn't come about rapidly when Lucifer sinned. It always existed. God's plan didn't come about because Adam sinned. It always existed. It was planned in eternity before the hills and order stood or earth received a frame. But if it was planned in eternity, then it was also pictured in history. There's a picture of it in Genesis chapter 22 when Abraham took Isaac and was about to sacrifice him on the wooden altar. There is a picture of a father who is willing to sacrifice his son. And that makes us think of God the Father and his son. And there is a picture of a son who was willing to be sacrificed. And that reminds us of the Lord Jesus. Or you go to Leviticus 16, the day of atonement. They brought the scapegoat into the presence of the high priest who put his hands on its head and he confessed over it all their sins, all their iniquities, and all their transgressions, and they were taken into an uninhabited place by that scapegoat. Or you could think of Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. But the one I want you to think about for a moment is the Passover lamb in Exodus chapter 12. You see, when you go to Exodus chapter 12 and look at that Passover lamb, there are many things that we could say about it, but let me say just three. First of all, the lamb was suitable. It was a lamb without spot and blemish. It was the choice lamb. It was the best lamb they had. It was suitable for sacrifice. And then it was sacrifice that had to die. Whatever happened, the lamb had to die. The blood had to be shed. To be applied to the doorpost and the lintel. <clears throat> and then it was sufficient for the needs of the people. Now consider God's Lamb. Come to Calvary in thought and mind and consider God's Lamb. God's Lamb was the same, God's Lamb was suitable. You see, the one who hung on that centre cross at Calvary knew no sin, did no sin. And in him was found no sin. He was holy and harmless and undefiled and separate from sinners. But he also was sacrificed. He had to die. Jesus Christ came into this world for one purpose. Not to be a teacher, not to be a martyr, not to be an example, but to be a savior. He came into this world in order that he might die for sin and for sinners. And then it was sufficient for the needs of the people. Because through that one sacrifice and the cross at Calvary, he has opened the fountain for sin and uncleanness. He has made a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. It was planned in eternity. It was pictured in history and it was perfected at Calvary. Out of the darkness of Calvary, out of the cruelty of Calvary, out of the mockery of Calvary, out of all of those things, there came the victory of Calvary. When the Son of God from the cross declared, It is finished. And at that moment, salvation's mighty work was done. There is saving grace. Now the question, and it 's a personal question for you and for me, am I a recipient of that saving grace? Has there been a time in my life when I personally, sincerely, genuinely acknowledge my sin and ask Jesus Christ to forgive me and save me and In the quietness of your own heart tonight, if you can say, yes, I've been there, that has been my experience, then on the authority of God's Word tonight, I can assure you, your sins are forgiven, you're born into God's family, and you're guaranteed to be in heaven for the endless ages of eternity. That's God's grace. So the first thing is saving grace. The second thing is, serving grace. You see, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, not every believer is persuaded about this, but it's true. Every one of us have been given a gift, a talent, an ability that is designed to be used in the work of the gospel and in the service of God. Paul put it like this, the manifestation, that's what he's talking about, the gift, the talent, the manifestation of the Spirit, listen, has been given to each one, to each one for the profit of all. You see, God gave you a gift to be used that is going to be a benefit and a blessing to others. And if you're not using the gift that God has given you, then you are holding back, as it were, the benefit and blessing of others. There is the presence of the gift. Now, when you go to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, uh, that deals with what I suppose we would call the major gifts. That verse tells us that he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, let me explain to you. First of all, the first two gifts don't exist today. There are no apostles today. There are no prophets today. Now, that's a bold statement to make that needs some understanding and some explanation. Why are there no apostles today? Because the Bible teaches me in Acts chapter 1 that to be an apostle, you had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And if you're a clever Christian and you're thinking, well, how did Paul qualify? Well, when you come to Acts chapter 9, you remember that Ananias came into the house where Paul was, Saul then, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord who appeared to you on the road. Saul of Tarsus, Paul the apostle, had a special revelation given to him that qualified him to be the apostle of God, the apostle to the Gentiles. There are no prophets today in the sense of a New Testament prophet Because the Bible is complete. God has said all that he's going to say and all that we need to hear. It's all there. And there will be no new revelations. So if somebody comes to you this week and they say, you know, I have been given a revelation from God. You can be sure of this. One thing, it didn't come from God. But then you see there are pastors. And they are a gift for today. Now, the primary understanding and meaning behind pastor is this. A pastor is a person. The word really, you know, it occurs 17 times in the New Testament. And 16 times it's translated as shepherd. And just once pastor. So a pastor is a shepherd. And the shepherd is a man who looks after the sheep and who cares for the sheep, and who guides the sheep, and who leads the sheep, and does all of those things for A man, a pastor, is a man with a compassionate and a caring heart for God's people. Now, a teacher is different. A teacher is a man whose gift is the ability to explain and expand the Word of God. All pastors are not teachers, Bible teachers, and all Bible teachers are not pastors. There are some men and their gift is preaching and teaching. There are other men and their gift is pastoring, caring, and so on. Now, there's the odd one who maybe has both, but generally there is a distinction between the two. Now, some gifts, of course, are public. Mine is a public gift. Yours might be a private one. And yet Paul says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. What is Paul talking about? What does he mean? How, How far does that all things go? Well, it's simply this. The best way to understand it is this. God's grace is sufficient for me to do everything that God wants me to do. Got that? God's grace is sufficient for you to do everything that God wants you to do. If God wants you to go and talk to your neighbor about the gospel, the grace is there. If God wants you to do some other ministry, the grace is there. If God wants you to go on a short-term mission, the grace is there. God's grace is sufficient for all the things that God wants you to do. Do you know, unsaved people are passionate about passing things, aren't they? My wife and I also, I suppose, we like to watch a program called Spring Watch. It's a nature program. And I am amazed at people being passionate, really passionate, about things like spiders and snakes and voles and dragonflies. And then in sport, people are passionate, fanatical. It becomes their God. I understand there's a sign or uh, a uh, a thing in, around the Anfield football ground that says something like this Anfield is our church, Liverpool is our religion. Now that borders on blasphemy. But that's their passion. They are fanatical about it, they are passionate about it. Are we passionate about permanent things? Are we passionate about the Saviour who has done so much for us? The Savior in the words of the little hymn that says, From sinking sands he lifted me. With tender hands he lifted me. Am I passionate about the one who took my sin and bore it on his own body on the cross at Calvary? Am I passionate in my worship of him? Am I passionate in my obedience to his word? Am I passionate in his work, in my work for him? And then of course we need to be passionate also about souls see men and women are perishing and you see that's an expression that's general it's not really sufficient for an occasion like this members of my family are perishing i suspect members of your family are perishing friends of mine are perishing Friends of yours are perishing. People that you work with, people that you live beside, men and women, young people without Christ, the reality is they're perishing. At this moment of time, they are perishing. And that's a challenge, isn't it? Amy Carmichael put it into poetry. She said this, Oh, for a passionate passion for souls. Oh, for a pity that yearns. Oh, for a love that loves unto death. Oh, for a fire that burns. Passionate about the Savior. Passionate about souls. Passionate about service. See, there are some of us, and I meet people my own age, and they say, "Uh, well, you know, my service for the Lord's over. I was a preacher for 40 years sang in the choir for 40 years, taught in Sunday school for 40 years, sang the gospel for 40 years, but my service is over. No, it's not. No, it's not. You see, when you understand the Bible, you realize this, your service can change, but it doesn't end. It doesn't end. Let me explain it to you like this. Moses led the children of Israel for 40 years. And then it came to the place where Moses was no longer physically able to do that. And he is replaced by a young man called Joshua. Now, I'm not sure how Moses responded to that. There are some old men, when they retire, respond rather grudgingly when a young man takes their place. But whatever happened, God came to Moses and he said, Moses, go and encourage Joshua. Now, wasn't that a good thing to do? Go and encourage the young man. Go and encourage Joshua. And you see, there was a time in Exodus 17 when Israel were engaged in battle with the Amalekites and Moses went up the mountain to pray and Aaron and her are there. And when Moses held up his hands, Israel were progressing. And when he tired and his hands fell down, the Amalekites made ground. But he was involved and engaged in that warfare. You see, the reality is this tonight. There are men and women who are on the mission field. And they know God's blessing and people are being saved. But it is in large measure down to the prayers of the people back home. And so you should be encouraged to pray. Pray for the missionaries that you know. Pray for those you have an interest in. And then, of course, for those of you who are not the aides that I am, Well, there's other things that you can do in the service of the Lord, starting with things that you might do in the church and then outside the church. But we do have a talent to use, and we should use it. So what have we got of God's grace? Well, we've got saving grace, and we've got serving grace. But then there's special grace, special grace. You see, Paul asked the Lord to take away his blindness or near blindness, and God said no. But here's a promise: My grace is sufficient for you. Now, the problems of life today are many and varied, aren't they? Uh, Paul, as I've said, had a physical problem. It wasn't a thorn in the f- it was a thorn in the flesh. Somebody said maybe he had an unsaved wife. No, it wasn't that. Maybe he had a difficult brother. No, it wasn't that. It was a physical problem. How do I know? Well, he's in a room perhaps like this and the high priest just across the way and he didn't recognize him. And when he wrote Galatians, which he did himself, he wrote it in large block letters, there was evidently something wrong with his eyes. And you see, physical problems are not easy to deal with see, there are people who are getting on to be older and uh, they're having difficulty seeing, or they're having difficulty hearing, or they're having difficulty walking. And if you've been young and fit and active and you look back in those days when you could do almost anything, and now this has transpired, it's not easy. A degenerative disorder is very distressing. Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, all those sort of things. Those are not fun things, you know. Those are very distressing. Paul prayed that the Lord would heal him. But he wasn't healed. Now, let me make a statement that I want you to understand. When the Lord Jesus died on the cross at Calvary, he died for our sins. Not our sicknesses. Healing is not in the atonement. And there was Paul, and he's asking the Lord to touch him and heal him and make him whole. Now, remember this. There was nothing wrong with Paul's prayer. If you get ill or sick or something happens, you are perfectly right. In fact, it's the first thing you should do. You should go and pray about it. And the second thing to remember is there was nothing wrong with Paul's faith. You see, the, him, the faith the, yeah, let me get it right. The fifth healer has a get out clause, because if you go to him or he comes to you and he puts hands on you and he anoints you with oil or whatever he, they do, and then nothing happens, nothing changes, you're just the same, he will come back to you and say, "But you didn't have faith." Would anyone dare to say that Paul didn't have faith? Surely not. Now here's the reality. Wasn't God's will to heal him. That's the bottom line. There is no other conclusion. There is no other understanding. It wasn't Paul's will, God's will to heal him. <clears throat> now, maybe you've prayed for something very sincerely and earnestly, and it's unanswered. First of all, you must not doubt God's love. Because God's love for you and me never changes. Regardless of what age we are or what we're doing or how well or how poorly we're doing, the love of God is a daily constant. You mustn't doubt God's ability. God is able to do all those things. But the secret is you must accept God's sovereignty. You must accept God's sovereignty. And here's the problem. If we don't accept God's sovereignty, then life is going to be pretty pretty miserable. You will go through life as though there was a dark cloud hanging over you. And when Paul came to understand and accept, this is God's will, this is how I'm going to be, this is what it's going to be like, I think his whole life changed at that time when he accepted the sovereign will of God. Now, whatever your problem is and whatever it might be, whether it's a physical problem or an emotional problem or a spiritual problem or whether it's a personal problem, a family problem or a church problem, I'm here tonight to assure you on the authority of Scripture, God's grace will always be sufficient. You see, sometimes in life, we just have to let God be God. And here's a word for two groups of people God's grace is sufficient for the sufferer, and God's grace is sufficient for the carer. And they go together. The poet said, Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly. Will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why? The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skilful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. And then there's a hymn that's not in in your book, or I don't imagine it's on your screen. But listen to this. And with this I'm through. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite fullness in Jesus, he giveth. And giveth and giveth again. We thank God tonight for saving grace, for serving grace, for special grace. Let's sing our closing hymn. Lovely hymn When I Survey. We'll stand to sing.